Well, good morning, Reach Church. How are we doing this morning? We've got sun. Welcome to Colorado, right? We have the craziest weather. You think after 40 years I'd be used to this? And I'm not. Amen. I remember the last blizzard that we had, the last big blizzard we had, happened on a Tuesday or Wednesday, four or five feet of, of snow, and I mean snow. And I think it was like 70 degrees at the end of the week. So if you're new to Colorado, welcome to our weather. Amen. So good morning again to our friends online. I hope you're ready for uh, another sermon. We're going to be talking about Vision 2022. 20, it's almost hard to say. Glad I don't write checks anymore. I'd be still be writing 2021 on them. You know, Pastor Derek started this series out, out talking about Habakkuk. Having the vision so clear that we can run with it. We're not hindered. And why is it important to have the vision to be clear so that we can do the mission of Reach Church and not be slowed down. Why? Because I assure you, the time is short. If the time was short thousands of years ago, the time is even shorter today. Amen? So here's what it says in Habakkuk 2.2. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. You see, we've been talking about the vision for the last few weeks. Why? So that it's plain. So that there's no guessing on what we should be doing. Anybody been watching football already this weekend? Right? My team's, my team's already out of it. And no, I'm not a Patriots fan, just so you know. My team's already out of it. Could you imagine all those, those 11 guys lining up? Hut, huck, and everybody goes 11 ways, right? The first thing you think is, what is going on with the coach? Has he not trained them? Has he not told them what they're going to be doing? I.e., that's why we've been talking about the vision. We want everyone running in the right direction, moving at the right speed, doing the right things at the right time. And so that's why we've been spending so much time on the vision for the first few weeks of this new year. Why did Pastor Derek talk about what it means to clarify a win so that everybody knows when we're winning and when we're not winning? Now, I'm not a football guy. I will watch football occasionally, but I'm a baseball guy. And the one thing I know about baseball, and this is the easiest thing that you need to remember, the only way to win is to score more runs than the other team. That's it. It doesn't matter how you do it. It does not matter at all. Your team could end up with... 30 hits in a game, and everybody's talking about it. But if you don't score any runs, you know what you did? You lost. So that's why we want to clarify what a win is, so that everyone knows when we're winning. And when we're not winning, we can adjust to make sure that we do win. Amen? So what did we talk about? We talked about our prayer being that we would reach, that each of us would reach our full potential with God reaching up, that we would reach our full potential with others by reaching in, and that we would reach our full potential by reaching out as well. Anybody ever get told by their teacher, man, you have so much potential, you're just not fulfilling it. That happened to me a couple times. You see, I didn't go to school for the books. I went to school because I was told that if I got, went to school, I got to play sports, Books just happened to be there. I don't know why, but they were. 
See, I was there to play sports. So when a teacher saw that I wasn't doing what I should be doing, and maybe you had this happen to you, they would say, man, you have so much potential. What you've got to do is bear down. Anybody ever get told that? You can, you've got so much potential. You just need to bear down and do it. That's what we're saying to you with our vision. We want you to reach your full potential. But to do that, you've got to bear down and you've got to do it. That's clarifying our win. When you are reaching up, reaching in and reaching out, you are winning in God. Here's what potential is. Pastor Derek said this, latent qualities or abilities that may be developed and lead to future success or usefulness. You may not be reaching your full potential right now, but we want you to reach your full potential in the near future. Amen. And you all have potential. And we want you to reach your full potential for God. Now, we also clarify to win by saying, listen, we want to do better in our services. We want them to be amazing. We want to do better in our relationships through life groups and through, through learning groups. We want you to love on each other and build relationships. And we want to do better at discipleship. And that's what I'm going to talk about today is discipleship. Now, Zach last week talked about relationship. He talked about making sure that our relationships are in the right order. God first. Family second. And others third. Why? Because if you get those out of order, he told us things are not going to go well. When we try to put them in the wrong order, we try to put God last, try to put our families first, man, you're going to run into some problems. So that's why he talked about Having the right relationships in the right order, that's the greatest way to fulfill your potential. He said that we need to have, to fulfill those relationships, we got to have loving presence, loving communications, and loving service. We need to watch how we communicate with each other. We need to watch how we serve one another. How we care for one another. And those are wins here at Reach. Anything else, we need to adjust what we're doing to make sure that we do win. During football games, they always ask the coaches they're running in, you know, what do you plan to do in the second half? Are you going to have a big talk? Yeah, because we were terrible and we, we need to adjust something, right? Seeing those coaches, they're... They're like, man, I don't know what to do. My team's getting blasted. I think that happened in New England yesterday, right? So if we're not winning, we need to make some adjustments so that we do win. Amen? So today, let's talk about discipleship. It's one of the things that we want to focus on for this year. Let me tell you what discipleship is. To become a disciple means to become a life long learner, a student of Jesus Christ. Followers of Christ should become disciples, and after proper discipleship, they become disciple makers. 
The discipleship process begins internally, here, with a change inside of our heart. And then takes place outside. We want to wash the inside of the cup first. Remember Jesus said, listen, you guys wash the outside of the cup, but that inside of the cup's still really nasty. Any coffee drinkers in here? You probably just wash the outside of the cup, right, to make sure it looks nice. You probably never wash the inside, right? That would be gross. We want to wash the inside of the cup, and then naturally it's going to overflow and wash the outside as well. Said so it takes place in the heart, and the results in an external change of one's behavior, mindset, and lifestyle. Once we become disciples, then we get to move to make disciples. Here's a great definition I found. Mary Fairchild said, Becoming and being a flourishing follower of Jesus who embodies the character of Christ by engaging in a lifelong personal pursuit of holistic transformation and doing so with a like-minded community of faith that's corporately committed to being and making other disciples. We are committed to being a disciple and making disciples. And her definition says, if you're going to be a disciple, you need to find other people that want to be disciples and want to make other disciples. But if you want to really define what being a disciple is all about, read this thing. Spend time in your Bible. Learn about other leaders who are making disciples, whether it was Paul training up Timothy, whether it was Elijah training up Elisha, maybe it was Moses teaching Joshua. They were making disciples. Did you know making disciples is part of the Great Commission? You can't really be part of the Great Commission unless you're making disciples and unless you're being a disciple. What does it say? Go into every nation. Go into every nation. Teaching them. Making disciples. Teaching them to obey the commandments that I've given you. You see, if we're not making disciples, we have to take a step back and ask, are we being disciples? Tough question. It's a hard thing to ask yourself. We started talking about the vision for this year, and we started talking about, man, our, we want our services to be top-notch. We want our relationships to be amazing. And... We want to be better at discipleship. And in order to be better at discipleship, we have to be better disciples. Pastor Derek said, disciples make disciples. Leaders make leaders. And churches should be making other churches. So if we're not making disciples, we need to take a, it's okay to take a step back and say, where are we at in this process? Because from what I read, the Great Commission, therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations. It's our command. Our commander in chief gave us a commission, and we should be fulfilling that. You see, the Great Commission is about becoming and helping others become 
disciples. Period. That's what we're here to do. Amen. And that's why we're spending so much time on these things the first few weeks of the year. So everyone knows where we're at. Everyone, they're not, you're not amazed when you're like, man, they've talked a lot about this this year. They've talked a lot about this. Because we want to be intentional in what we're doing. Amen. To be intentional. I don't want to come around to next January and go, oh, man, what the heck did we really do last year? Right? What do we do? So, Pastor Derek talks a lot, a lot about the Engel scale. The Engel scale is a way to judge where you're at in your walk with Christ. It starts with negative 10, which is kind of like, hey, I'm not interested. Not interested at all. That church stuff is good for you. It gets, goes all the way up to, I've seen different charts, positive 5, positive 10, where, man, you are, you're living a mission-filled life. You're making disciples. You're being discipled. But do you know, all of us, and we have these on the back if you'd like one when you leave, all of us are somewhere on this scale. You're somewhere on this scale. You're somewhere in the negative. You're somewhere in the positive. Some days, maybe both. And that's okay. Because I think knowing that you're somewhere on this scale will help you understand that the people that you are leading to Christ, spending time with in your household, friends at work or at school, within your family, those others that, we, that Pastor Zach talked about, they're somewhere on this scale as well. And when you realize that, I think you have more grace for others because you realize, man, they're, they're working through this like I'm trying to work through this. Amen? No one has arrived. If you keep that in context, you will do well. I think the problem sometimes is we think we've come to the end of our, hey, I've got it all, and I'm good to go. And we're going to see that that does not happen. Did you know that even those people that have decided, maybe they're negative 10. Anybody, I mean, I don't want you to raise your hand. Uh, but I was a negative 10 at once. And this guy at work, every once in a while, he just, he just dropped a little seed here. Oh, yeah, yeah I, yeah, I grew up in church. I know all about that. Drop a little seed. Oh, yeah, I know that. But those little seeds that he was planting was helping me become a disciple, even though I wasn't even ready for it. But it was moving me down the scale from negative, man, I was like a negative 12. They needed a special scale for me. From, from where I was on the scale, move me toward that zero, which if you grab one of these, zero is, listen, I am ready to make a decision for Christ. And now I'm ready to go in the positive direction. So when you're at work and you're frustrated with your friends that you know, maybe you can't get them to church, maybe they, they're just not living the life that you want them to live, just keep planting those seeds. Because you're helping them move forward. And you never know when they... When they give their life to Christ someday, I pray that they do. They're like, man, I, I remember that seed. Man, I was way down the road. Somebody was planting seeds in my life. Amen. I think not only is everyone on this scale somewhere, but everyone was in the negative one day as well. Because no one was born into this. You didn't wake up one day, you know, when you were born and your parents were like, yeah, you're a Christian. Congratulations. 
No one was born to this. So we were all in the negative at some time, at some place. Now, you might not have been negative 12, I hope, but you, maybe you were negative 3. I don't know. And I think knowing that we all started on the same negative scale will give us grace for the people that we deal with each and every day. Amen? It's amazing that we're all somewhere on here and that we all started somewhere on here as well. Amen. Remember that as you're speaking into people's lives, as you're building disciples, as you're becoming a disciple. So let's talk a little bit about discipleship. First thing I want to tell you is discipleship is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. I wish it did, but it doesn't. Amen. Anybody ever have that roller coaster life? Read, read about Peter. He had a roller coaster life. That's okay. Because as long as we keep it in the right perspective that becoming a disciple is a process, gives us more grace when we're making disciples. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4. While walking, uh, sorry, here's what it says about Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. That makes sense. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, follow me, and you'll be the best at it. You're going to learn everything you need to know the first couple steps, the first couple days, the first couple years. He said, I'm going to help you in the process and help make you Fishers of men. Do you know we're all in that process of becoming fishers of men? It is a process. And knowing that it's a process, man, I know that some days my process is slow. Right? And some days I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I'm doing so good today. Right? Don't get down on yourself. Understand that it's a process. Did you know that they were called the, the disciples at the beginning of their ministry as well as the end? Why? Because it's a process. They were disciples the first day. Now, we're going to talk about what a disciple is. Maybe they weren't all the way to positive 10 yet, which none of us are, just so you know. But they were still called disciples even in the beginning of the process. Here's what it says in Corinthians. Follow me as I follow Christ. I praise you, brothers, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I have delivered them to you. Paul says, continue to follow me as I follow Christ. Why? Because it's a process. Check this out. This proves that it's a process. This proves that we're going to have good days and bad days. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 7. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Does that sound like anything anybody's ever said to themselves when they're driving to work or get up in the morning? You're like, man, I want to do all these great things, but for some reason, I can't do them. But the things that I hate to do, ah, that just comes so naturally. Welcome to the process of becoming a disciple. Even Paul was in the process. Because 
in one book, he's like, listen, follow me as I'm following Christ. I'm just, I'm trying to do my best here. And then in Romans, he writes, I don't know what the problem is. I want to do all these great things, but I seem to do the things that I hate. It's a process. It's okay. Let me tell you what it takes to be a disciple. It takes some obedience to the process. Because there's going to be good days, and there's going to be less than good days. Amen? There were ups and downs in Paul's life, up and down in Peter's lives, ups and downs in all of the disciples' lives. There's going to be ups and downs in our lives. Here's what it says in the Greek. A disciple is a disciplined one. And it takes time to build discipline. I know I've mentioned New Year's resolutions. And the wise ones, I've been already been told, don't make uh, New Year's resolutions because then they don't break them. And when they make their New Year's resolution that they're uh, going to lift more weights, going to run more, going to eat better, it takes discipline. It takes time. It's a process. Becoming a disciplined one is a process. Amen? It takes time to connect, to serve, and to give. That's why they call this a Christian walk, not a sprint. It's just one foot in front of the other. Just taking your journey as you can. Following Christ and having others follow you as you follow Christ. So, what are some of the things that you're going to learn as a disciple? Here's the first one. You have to learn to love one another. That's easier said than done. You've got to learn to love one another. Here's why. Let's say you spent, I don't know, 20 years in the world. The world's going to teach you how to love based on their definition. And their definition is wrong. But it takes time to relearn what love is is it takes time that love one another is connecting it's connecting with each other here's what it says in John chapter 13 a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you wow that's setting the bar pretty high isn't it You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how the world is going to judge us, by our love for one another. The only way to do that is to spend time together, to learn about each other, to go through the process together and you're in a different spot of the process than I'm in and it takes a lot of love to make that come together now let me tell you what the world's going to teach you about love now I grew up in the 70s and the 80s and everything I learned about love was from TVs and movies and let me tell you something that was no bueno not good at all right so I'm going to give you a little Greek today the world may teach you a little bit about phileo, that's brotherly love. Now, for those of you that have traveled and have been to the city of Philadelphia, they missed the memo. It is not the city of brotherly love. I've been there. I've seen it on the news. Now, the world may teach you a little bit about brotherly love. 
caring for your brother. It may teach you a little bit about storge, or what, what in the Greek, that's family love. It may teach you a little bit about family love. But let me tell you what the world is going to really teach you. They're going to teach you to love, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's worldly love. It's easy to love somebody that can love you back. Jesus said even the Pharisees and the tax collectors do that. But learning to love the way that God loves, that's what it's like to be a disciple. You know when the Bible says that God is love? Man, if you take that everywhere you go, you will be amazing. Every situation, good and bad, you take a step back and okay, God is love, and I'm trying to be a disciple, so I better love. Now, the love for God gives us, everyone should know, is what? Agape, unconditional love. You won't find that in the world. You'll find the, I'll take care of you if you take care of me kind of love. Now, if you spend a lot of time in the world, it's going to take some time to re-wash your brain with the water of the word, to change the way you think about love. And I want to tell you, Kelly and I just celebrated 33 years of marriage, which I want to tell you, that's a miracle. Because if you were at my wedding, the over-under was six months, and nobody was taking the over. Let me tell you about love. I thought I knew about love when I got married, based on what I thought love was. Amen? I mean, it's the only definition I knew, so it seemed to work for me. And have you noticed, married folks, how love changes as you get older? Why? Because sometimes you do become wiser. Maybe God's molding you and making you into who you should be to love unconditionally. And I want to tell you the truth. That's tough. Amen. Because the world is so reversed. Everything we get taught, everything we see in the world is the reverse of that. So as a disciple, we have to relearn how to love. It's one of the greatest things that we can learn. The next thing we've got to learn how to do is to be a servant. To have a servant's heart. It's the greatest thing a disciple can ever be is a servant, to serve others. Not always because you want to. Are you familiar with the story of the two brothers? One said, man, I'm not going. I'm not doing that. And then he went and did it. And then the other brother said, yep, Father, I'll take care of that. Everything will good, be good. And then he didn't. Do you know all of us are in one of those, sometimes in the same day? Servanthood is not easy. But here's what it says. Matthew chapter 23. The greatest among you shall be your servant. The greatest will be your servant. Matthew 25 says this. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. By doing what? Being a good servant. And serving others is tough. 
being a servant is tough. And yet it brings the greatest reward. Amen. Did you know our leader came not to be served, but to serve? If our leader came to do that, the commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ himself, if he came to serve and not be served, guess what his disciples should be doing? We should be serving. Inside here, out there, we should become better servants. Who can we serve? Our family, our friends, others, ones that can't serve us back. That's when you're really shifting to true servanthood, church. And when you serve those that cannot serve you back. That's when you're really a servant. When you serve, not because you're going to get your back scratched, but because you are a disciple of Christ Jesus. What's the next thing we're going to learn? As a disciple, we have to learn to bear much fruit. We are fruit bearers. Did you know you can judge a tree by its fruit? I grew up in Southern California, and the area that I grew up in had walnut trees. Those are great to have fights with when the green thing is still on them. There are just walnut trees everywhere. And I never went up to one of those walnut trees and said, man, today I'm going to pick peaches, and it's going to be amazing. Why? Because I knew you couldn't get peaches from a walnut tree, and vice versa. We have to learn to bear the fruit that God wants us to bear. Here's what it says in John chapter 15. This is to my Father's glory. Hear that. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to what? Be my disciples. You want to prove that you're a disciple? Bear fruit. Bear the fruit that God would have you to bear. Wherever you're at in your discipleship walk, God wants you to bear fruit. My dad planted this peach tree in our backyard. He watered it. He fertilized it. We could not wait for peaches. We never got a peach. One year, two years, three years, four years. My mom's like, dig up the tree, Lanny. We're not going to get any peaches. Finally, he dug up the tree. I blame my brothers because it was right by our pool. And I think they used to get too much chlorine water on it. You know, God does the same thing. He expects you to bear fruit. Expects you to bear fruit. In fact, it's one of the ways to prove that you're a disciple is by bearing fruit. Here's what it says in John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Each branch in me that bears no fruit, he takes away. 
man, that is harsh. It's hard. I mean, that's, that's mean. You mean if I don't bear any fruit, God's going to take me away? Uh, I mean, if you're going to say you're a disciple, you should be. Here's what it says after that. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. That's back to that follow me as I follow Christ thing. If you're not following Christ, you're not, you're not part of the, the bigger picture. And it's impossible for you to bear fruit. He who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Disciples, we have to be part of the vine. We can't do it ourselves. We need each other. But most importantly, we need Christ. Christ working in us and through us to bear fruit. That is how you prove that you are a disciple. Now, we could spend days talking about love, days talking about being a servant, days talking about giving fruit. But if you want to be and prove that you're a disciple, you've got to love. You've got to serve, and you have to bear fruit. You have to bear fruit. So what does it mean to bear fruit? Hey, where, where am I giving? Where am I sowing? Where am I using my time and my talents and my treasures? We say that so much because we want you to use your time and your talents and your treasures for his kingdom, not your kingdom. I can assure you I've spent so much time trying to build my kingdom, which will come to nothing. Instead of building his kingdom, how can you use your time, your talents, and your treasures for God's kingdom? Amen? To bear fruit. Kelly and I have been going through these boxes of pictures, and they're, they're pictures of and they're from the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, 70s, 80s. I mean, I've got pictures of people, and I've been taking pictures of them and sending a messenger to my cousins. I'm like, do you know who this is? Why do I have a picture of them, right? Because I inherited a lot of stuff uh, when my parents passed, and I ended up with a lot of their pictures. And so I'm looking through these pictures. I've told Kelly, I have no idea who this is. So I send this picture to my cousin, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's Uncle blah, blah, blah. And that's I'm like, oh, I didn't, didn't even know. I had no idea. Well, I found this picture of my my great-uncle Tony, and my great-uncle Tony, I thought he was the greatest gardener and plant grower ever. I mean, he should write books about it. Because when we would go out there in the summer, he had tomatoes, big tomatoes, and cucumbers, bell peppers, and carrots. He grew onions. I mean, I thought he was the greatest. I mean, I thought his green thumb was like this big. He was amazing when I was a little kid. But well, we took a vacation, uh, must have been uh, summer, of 80, summer of 84, we went out on vacation, 
and I got my and I spent time with my great uncle Tony, and we were talking about his garden, you know, because he liked to show his garden. It was like his baby, and I'm like, man, you you're the great, you're the best gardener ever, uncle. I mean, I don't get it. How how did you get so good? And he goes, there's four things that you got to have in order to have a great garden. Are you ready? He said, you have to have good soil. You got to make sure that your soil is tilled. You have good dirt in the ground, right? You can't have junky soil. You got to have good soil. You got to make sure that you the rocks are taken out, and you know you, you got to have good you got to have good soil. So the second thing, you got to have good seeds. If you do not buy good seeds, boy, he used to call me Slats. That was my nickname, Slats, because I look like Slats on a fence. Because I, I used to be, I used to actually be thin. So that was my nickname was Slats. Slats, you got to buy good seeds. Okay, good seeds. He goes, you got to water just the right amount, just the right amount of water on those seeds. And then you got to have just the right amount of sun. you got to have the right amount of heat to do those. And so that's why I put my garden over here, explained the whole process. And I started thinking as I was studying for this, you know, isn't that what it's like to be a disciple? If you're going to produce good fruit, you've got to have good ground. We need the, the hardness of our heart to be tilled and for those rocks to be pulled out. So there's good ground for good seeds, God's word. Good seeds to be planted in, not junky seeds, good seeds. You've got to have just the right amount of water. What does it say? The washing of the water of the word. Just the right amount of water has to be put onto us. And then we need the S-O-N. We need a lot of the sun to beat down upon us, to spring us into action, to help us grow and to bear fruit. We need those, those four aspects in our life to become and to make disciples. Because again, if you're not making disciples, you need to take a step back and say, what do I need to fix in myself to become a better disciple so that I can help make disciples? Amen? If you've got your Bibles or your phone or however you, you read the word, turn with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Here's what it says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Any helpless people out there that's been touched by Jesus of Nazareth. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Here's what I want you to see. It's in verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and un trained men based on what based on what the world says based on what the world says 
they were untrained. They, didn't, they, they weren't trained in all the, the deep things of God. The world will say, you are un, you, you guys lost your mind. You are untrained. But here's what, here's how it ends. It says they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You see, disciples, if you want to turn the world upside down, they need to see that you have been with Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand this morning? So bow your heads. You know, being a disciple, it will bring purpose, direction, peace, satisfaction, relationships. But I want to ask you today with your head bowed, who can you love? Who has God been prompting you to love on? Not the person that's easy to love that you can get something back from because as Jesus said the Pharisees and the tax collectors do that they love on people that can love them back who can you love on the second thing is who can you serve selfless servanthood who is God calling you to serve to prove that you are one of his disciples. And lastly is, who or where can you give and sow into? Where can you bear fruit? So spend a moment this morning and think about that. Who can I love? Who can I serve? Where can I bear more fruit? that will prove that you are a disciple and until you prove that you are a disciple it will be difficult to make disciples without first being a disciple Father God I just pray this morning that you would show us that will prove that we are your disciples. Father, help us to become disciplined ones. To continue in the process through our ups and through our downs. Through our three steps forward and our two steps back. Help us to become followers of you so that we can make more followers of 
allow us to have grace and mercy knowing that all of us are in this process individually and yet together. Allow us and help us to love on others as only you can do. To serve others as only you can serve. And to bear fruit because you are helping us to bear fruit. In Jesus' precious name, and everyone said, amen and amen.